Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. That's right. You heard the man. It's that time of week. My name is Bernie Fratto. We're coming to you live from the TireRack.com studios. TireRack.com will help you get there. An unmatched selection, fast free shipping, free road hazard protection, and over 10,000 recommended installers. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. Man, we are loaded. Ton of college football to get to. And obviously, the the next game of the century is just about 13 hours away. And I'm going to tell you why I bet Georgia minus eight. This should be an epic battle. Tennessee has scored 30 more or more points in 11 straight games. Georgia has allowed, or check that, they have not allowed 30 points in 37 straight home games. I've got a ton of data, and I'm going to get to it later, and I'm going to tell you why. Georgia has one distinctive edge here that hasn't been talked about a lot, and I'll break it down for you in nice bite-sized pieces. There were the first college football rankings this week. That and 50 cents will get you a cup of coffee at White Castle, maybe some uh, honorary onion chips as well to go with your cheeseburger. Look, we're going to get to all that, but I got a couple bits of business. By the way, Mark Medina is going to join us, Medina Magic at the Midnight Hour. And I want to get to a couple of bits of business before I get really into the meat of the show tonight. And uh, one of them has to be three takeaways from the World Series, uh, which is which I'm going to get to in just a second. But the one thing I, I just got to give my two cents on. 
this Kyrie thing has come full circle. I started to talk about it last Saturday night when he had that little tete-a-tete with uh, Nick, Nick Friedel, and I just was thinking to myself, you know, I, I thought you had to be smart to go to Duke. It, why is it everything that Kyrie says sounds pre-programmed and contrived and, and, and clunky, and, he, he, you know, him really not understanding last week that he has a real platform, four and a half million followers, and let's not get too semantical, whether it's promotion or endorsement. And I didn't even necessarily dive into the content of what he tweeted. It was more just, dude, why aren't you accountable? Okay? All, you know, people are not accountable. Kyrie is not accountable. And I'm a, I'm a simple guy. You've heard me say it a thousand times. I didn't have a Lunchables for dinner last night like I had last week, but I really like to keep things simple. But at the same time, I'm accountable and I'm not a con- or I'll give you an example. All right. I don't put ketchup on a hot dog. You put ketchup on a hot dog. You got to be accountable. Sorry. Ketchup is sugar. You don't put sugar on a hot dog. Ketchup doesn't enhance the hot dog. It camouflages it. You're killing the dog. You're killing me. It's like putting ice cubes in wine. That's like eating pizza with a spoon. In Chicago, it's actually a violation of a city ordinance. Pretty sure it is. If you ever even mention you want ketchup on a hot dog, they'll give you a couple packages and say, go stand over there and put it on yourself. I think even President Obama said it's an unforgivable act if you put ketchup on a hot dog after the age of six. So, see, I'm accountable for the fact I don't put ketchup on a hot dog, but I digress. Let's go back to Kyrie. The dude's got a body of work, right? He wore out his welcome in Cleveland. He wore out his welcome in Boston. He ghosted his teammates at a birthday party last year, ditched him again when he had to go find some Zoom call, uh, you know, supporting some political candidate. Then he missed two weeks, didn't bother to call his boss, Steve Nash, just, you know, needed to take time off. And then there was the whole vaccination obfuscation, you know, just just complete chicanery, the the obstinacy over his own willingness to get the vaccine. I got the vaccine. I I didn't really want to get it. I hope it worked. I have no idea, but I was going to die on that hill. All right. In a civilized society, you kind of got to go along to give along, get along. Kyrie plays by his own rules, whatever the hell those are there. You know, this is planet Kyrie. We're all just paying rent. And then now recently we find out he doesn't even return Joe size texts. Are you kidding me? All right. So Kyrie finally relents. He says, I'm sorry. Right. Uh, love means never having to say you're sorry, but I don't love Kyrie. I, and I don't think Kyrie loves anything. He's just one of those guys that's just a rabble rouser. Uh, but a week after this whole controversy, controversy, excuse me, uh, surrounded him in, in a pretty fierce fashion last week, uh, he finally said, okay, I, I apologize on an Instagram. And I really wonder if if it's the case now that I'll even play for the Nets again. If you are Jason and Mike talking last night, they made a pretty good case about how you wonder if this five games is just sort of a – a timeout so they can get their act together and figure out what are we going to do with this knucklehead. And I think his, his apology is vacuous because of the timing, clearly. Now all of a sudden it got real. Ish got real. Five games, no pay. He's getting a lot of pushback. Now Nike's jumped off. And But it, but but again, the, the apology only, only comes after they suspend him. Not before, because you know why? He didn't want to apologize because he's not sorry, and he's not sorry now. He's just doing this to s- pretend like he's going to conform to whatever the, the corporate culture and morals and values that the Brooklyn Nets organization pretends to have at this point, which is a whole different 
conversation. There's a plenty of layers to this saga now, okay? But it boils down to this. From what I understand, Irving posted a link to a film that has clear anti-Semitic themes, including a Holocaust denial. Now, he had the opportunity after opportunity after opportunity and after even more opportunity to apologize, and he refused. Instead, he offered a donation to the Anti-Defamation League, and they told him go pound sand, which I thought was a good move. Then he gives all these long-winded, nonsensical answers when he's pushed by the press. Then finally, the apology. This is a mess. And I think Irving's antics have been an insult to the National Basketball Association. They've been certainly an insult to his team. They've been an insult to uh, human beings. And I would just say this, that that's our rudderless ship. They don't even really have a full-time head coach right now. I think it's really unclear where the story goes from here, but we're watching it. We're watching it. And I am baffled why the NBA continues to enable Kyrie Irving. You talk, I, I just talked about the body of work he's had. Well, see, that's how you get to this point, when you let these things just continue on unabated, unchecked. This just, it, it, it insults anybody who's got an IQ above 39. All right. The World Series. I believe I said it multiple times that uh, the Astros were the most complete team in not only the National League, but in in, in baseball as well. Uh, Pitching, power, defense, situational prowess. They're gritty. They're gutty. They're clutch. They're savvy. They're not really relying on one thing. And look, I, I realize what happened in 2017. Let's just not talk about that right now. That's the manager's gone. I know three or four of the infielders are there, but I, I don't think they're cheating now. They're just a very, very good baseball team, and I can't take my eyes off them because they, they, you know, they play the game the right way. They know how to pressure the defense. They don't wait around for home runs. They pitch. They got hard throwers, soft tossers, left-handers, right-handers. They've got a bullpen to die for. I mean, you got a combined no-hitter the other night. They gave up two runs in the last 18 innings to a very good offensive team who happened to be hot. And, you know, I always look for the takeaways and the storylines. Well, I think there were three of them. And one of them hits home because I covered the 2006 World Series when the Tigers were supposed to hammer St. Louis and they got swept. Well, that year was a rookie year of a gentleman by the name of Justin Verlander. And in the 16 years between Game 1 of the 2006 World Series and Game 5 of this current World Series, Justin Verlander has lived a dream career. He's made nine all-star teams. He's captured an MVP trophy. He's got. He's won two American League Cy Young awards. He's about to win a third. I, I'd be shocked if he doesn't. He marries a movie star. Then he gets elbow reconstruction surgery, and he comes back dominant as ever. And I believe he's 39. He said he wants to play to 45. Who, you know, don't. I'm not going to be the one to tell him. Uh, tells him he can't. But what he had not done between that night in 2006, I just alluded to. And Friday night, check that, Thursday night, uh, including all those times where he pitches the Detroit Tigers, was record a victory in a World Series game. It took him nine tries, and this is not his first barbecue. He was in the World Series in 2006, 2012, 2017, 2019, and it took to game one of the 2021-22 series, and he notched his, you know, a notch on the belt of, I think, the remaining five goal or the remaining goal he would have had to get this done. And you know what? It was it was almost artistic because it wasn't. He logged five innings. He only allowed one run. 
He basically escaped catastrophe three of the five innings. Finally, he hands it off to the bullpen, but he emptied the tank in a hostile environment. He did not buckle. He showed he was gritty. And this is one night after the Houston Astros cadre finished off the Phillies with a no-hitter. Then the Houston relievers, they basically took over for Verlander, and this team is on the brink of a championship now. But you give a lot of credit to Verlander because, you know, Nolan Ryan once said, the mark of a great pitcher is when he doesn't have his best stuff. And Verlander missed his spots a lot, but he missed him in spots that were unhittable. So he avoided true catastrophe, and he made big pitches when he needed to make big pitches. And the whole, frankly, the whole Astros team did, which leads me to my second takeaway. Right again, what remember? This was not artistic or pretty. The game began with Verlander giving up a home run, but he walked off the mound with the lead after five innings through 94 pitches. His fastball, he did not have great command of. In fact, he walked four guys in five innings. He hadn't done that in four years, but he didn't. He, he did strike out six. He didn't look like a Cy Young guy. But give give it up to Dusty Baker, who allowed him, who allowed Verlander to empty the tank. And when he got out, Nick Castellanos, who flew out after a ten pitch at bat. That's why I love baseball. It's drama. He that that was that was like icing on the cake. That okay, no one was going to hand Verlander anything. He's going to very much savor his first World Series victory because it put Houston in a, in a position to win the whole thing Saturday night, and it got that monkey off his back, as it were. The second takeaway, the Phillies' bats have absolutely disappeared when runners are scoring position, in scoring position. Thursday night was a little better than Wednesday for the Phillies' offense, but that's not saying much. Okay, They got no hit in Game 4, the Phillies did. They struggled to get much going in Game 5, and they were constantly frustrated with runners on base. Finally, in the eighth inning, Gene Segura comes up with an eight, uh, RBI single. But at that point, the Phillies had been 0 for their last 20 when runners in scoring position. That was a going back to game one. Now, what broke the drought might have got a run, but it, that was all it did. Because after that, Brandon Marsh struck out. And then Kyle Schwarber, he did score up the bat, but it was, ended up being a ground out. And give it up, and this is why I said the Astros are the most complete team. Trey Mancini, who was only in for defensive purposes, who I believe hadn't played the position in two or three weeks, comes up with a great play. And remember, sorry to bring this up, Boston fans, in retrospect, when they wrote the history books, it was argued that Bill Buckner should have been replaced for defensive purposes, but Boston figured they had the thing in the bag. We Houston didn't think that way. Big-time credit to the Astros. Big-time credit to their defense, their timely hitting, their pitching, and particularly their bullpen. It's unbelievable. But, see, the Phillies are built on offense. That's it. They either score, they either score points, hit home runs, or, or that's it. The one bright spot, yes, has been Bryce Harper. But the Astros are, are said to themselves, we're not going to get beat by Bryce Harper. And we're not going to throw many breaking balls. Yet Harper had tremendous plate discipline, still finished with two walks and a double. But every time Harper got on, Nick Castellanos could never pick him up. And all of a sudden, the third takeaway, you love this happens because it always happens or happens very often in the World Series. And that is somebody you hadn't heard of becomes a household name. And that could go back to the World Series a long time ago. Guys like Brian Doyle, 
Look it up. Google it. What he did in the 1978 World Series. Now, I'm not talking about Brian Doyle Murray of Caddyshack fame, Bill Murray's brother. No, but if you got the reference, help yourself to some cookies out of petty cash. But this kid's a rookie, Jeremy Pena. You never heard of Jeremy Pena. I don't think I'd heard of Jeremy Pena. What did you do in game five? Oh, nothing. Three for four with another dinger and two RBIs. Second night in a row that he got a major hit with a two-strike count. In game four, Aaron Nola had him out, uh, down 0-2, and then he loads the bases with a single. Tonight, or check that, Thursday night, while facing Noah Syndergaard in the third inning, once again, Pena falls behind 0-2, looked bad down a slider, falls off another breaking ball, and then he bowed his neck, bared down, relaxed. That's, of course, I just contradicted myself, but he falls off a pitch, takes two more. One was just a little inside. One was just a little outside. I'm going, wow, this guy's really got an approach. I mean, he, he this guy's a rookie, and then he got what he was looking for. And Don Mattingly told me if pitchers could put the ball where they wanted to all the time, we'd all hit 120, but there's a thing called a mistake. And Syndergaard made it. Hung a 2-2 curveball over the plate. Payne hit it into the left field seats. That's the last batter Syndergaard would face. It became the winning run for the Astros. Jeremy Pena. Now, this is what's interesting, because during the season, and they had, they keep so many advanced metrics in baseball now, my teeth itch. But one of Jeremy Pena's weaknesses during the regular season was that he was not a good two-strike hitter. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, he was hitting 167 with two strikes. And that's below the league average. But if there's ever a time to come through, Thursday was a time, and Jeremy Pena's done it twice in a row. So give it up to the Astros. Love them, hate them, whatever. Jer- uh, Justin Verlander gets it done. The bullpen gets it done. Uh, Jeremy Pena, the rookie you'd never heard of, is all of a sudden front and center on front street, and the Phillies' bats have disappeared with runners in scoring position, and there you have it. Houston is really... Is ready to take it all Saturday night, so we shall see what happens. Coming up, all right. I had three questions prior to the initial college football ranking on Tuesday. You know, things like what matters more, I test a resume, and does the committee uh, respect certain conferences over another? Would there be a, a, a one-loss team ranked in front of an undefeated team? Those questions were answered, and I'm going to bring them to you again bottom of the hour i'm going to talk to you about why i actually bet georgia saturday i'm putting it out there right now and i will give you why i bet georgia hey football fans be sure to tune into fox sports radio's countdown to kickoff presented to bet mgm every saturday morning three hours before kickoff tune in saturday morning 9 a.m eastern and sunday morning at 10 a.m eastern as we take you live all the way to kickoff on fox sports radio in the iHeartRadio app presented by bet MGM. I'm Bernie Fratto. We're coming to you live from the Las Vegas Tyrac.com studios. So keep it locked right here. You're listening to the Bernie Fratto Show on Fox Sports Radio. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at FoxSportsRadio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! 
And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to $1,500 again sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in Ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park that's 1-800-GAMBLER All right, we're back on the Bernie Fratto Show. We're coming to you live from the Las Vegas Tyrac.com studios. We'll take you up to 2 a.m. Pacific, 5 a.m. Eastern. And finally, last Tuesday, November 1st, we got our first initial CFB rankings. A couple of questions I had before they announced them. What really matter? Because <laughs> I have always said that this version of the playoff is basically a made-for-TV invitational. So what what matters more, I test a resume, because if, if schedule strength was a top priority, uh, Tennessee had to be number one, in my opinion. Okay, and even Georgia, you might think they played a good schedule, but aside from Oregon, their FBS opponents are combined 22-26. Only South Carolina is above 500, but I know the dogs look good, and trust me, and I'm going to get to this later. I bet them Saturday. And I'll give you a lot of stats why. Um, Georgia's defense statistically is pretty spooky, and uh, and they're at home. Remember that, right? But Tennessee deserves a lot of respect. I, I do believe they're very well-deserving uh, of of their number one ranking. Uh, obviously, um, if you were one of those lucky people who grabbed Tennessee at, uh, what were they, 100-1 to before the season, to win the national championship. Well, you're only going to get a fraction of that now. And they've beaten Pitt, who was ranked 17th. Florida, who was ranked 20th. LSU was ranked 25th. Kentucky was 19th. And Bama was number three. So now Tennessee's got a target on their back. And after Georgia Saturday, they got Missouri, South Carolina, and Vanderbilt. The Buckeyes are number two. Now, you could make a case for the Buckeyes to be number one because the selection committee typically loves convincing wins. And nobody in the country has beaten teams as soundly as the Buckeyes. They lead the FBS with points per game differential plus 32. That's points per game differential. But based on that, you could have made them number one, I suppose. But, you know, th- this is just a game here. So Ohio State's number two. And, okay, you can say they have a weak schedule, and maybe they do, but they're opening up a can of whoop-ass at everybody. So... And I get it. Notre Dame should have never been ranked number five. And that was the season opener. And you kind of throw those things out. Remember, Oregon lost 49 to three to Georgia. I don't think they'd beat George Oregon 49 to three now, but it doesn't matter. You, you play them when you play them. Or like Arnie Spanner likes to say, the shows today, well, those games were that day. You only, you can only react to what happened, right? 
By the way, they did overmatch Penn State. Believe me, Ohio State has got this gear that Michigan does not have, and I'm going to get to that later, but we'll find that out three weeks from Saturday. Georgia weighs in at number three. They're the defending national champions. They open up the season at 2-1 to one to repeat. I don't think they've done much to dispel the notion that they can't win back-to-back. Uh, the Bulldogs are 7-0. They, Oregon was number 11 when they beat them. They've beaten South Carolina, Florida. We'll see what happens Saturday against Tennessee, and I'm going to analyze that game in a minute. Now, the number four team is curious. Clemson is 16-1 to win the national championship. They're kind of a rare position of earning their way into the top four because their odds have continually degree, uh, decreased since the beginning of the season. And the Tigers were, what, 8-1 to to win the championship before week zero, and now the odds have gotten worse, actually. So and what didn't help is that Syracuse almost beat them, and that game was at home, and that shook, that shook up the odds makers, right? And then rounding out the top ten, you got Michigan, Alabama, TCU, Oregon, USC, and LSU. And there's one thing about this that bothers me, because in the history, by the way, in the history of the college football playoff uh, in, in the current iteration in 2014, only one ranked team failed to make the final playoff. That was Mississippi State in 2014. You may remember that team. had a quarterback named Dak Prescott. Now, the Bulldogs were the initial number one ranked team in the very first poll. Could that be deja vu for the Vols? We shall see. But this is where I throw a flag. If you're a TCU fan, you've got a right to be pissed off. And if you look at TCU versus Clemson, then it shows you why this is nothing more than a made-for-TV show pony invitational. Because people are always influenced by brands. And TCU is not the brand that Clemson is. But TCU's offense is the only consistently dominant unit on either squad, if you line up Clemson next to TCU, TCU probably deserves to be in that number four role more than Clemson. TCU scored 38 points or more in every game. They're averaging almost eight yards a play. That's nearly two yards better than Clemson. TCU's had over 400 yards in every game, and all but four, four, they've had over 450 in every game, but one. And while DJU, the starter and quarterback for uh, Clemson, his status remains a little dubious. TCU's quarterback, Max Duggan, has gone from a second stringer to becoming a Heisman Trophy contender. He's passed for almost 2,300 yards, 22 touchdowns, only two interceptions. Now, TCU's defense even has been far, you know, serviceable, not nearly as good as Clemson's, I get that. But they've made enough in-game adjustments, and they're allowing opponents just under four yards a rush. When you look at the two resumes next to Clemson and TCU, two of Clemson's best three wins came against teams that were really exposed last week. Wake Forest against Louisville, Syracuse against Notre Dame. TCU's wins over the Oklahoma schools, I realize they don't look as strong as they once did, although Oklahoma State's overall profile should not be written off, despite the fact they got just, as Kevin would say, mollywop by Kansas State. Look, I don't want to get too deep into this because everything's going to change between now and uh, and when you know the real bullets start to fly here in about in several weeks. But I would say this: the committee clearly respects certain conferences over other ones. And what does the first ranking really mean over the first years, first eight years of the first uh, the first fast four team format? Only 19 of the 32 teams. That's 59 percent actually even made the top four, the, 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 who made the initial rankings, only 19 of the 32 teams actually ended up in the playoff. So that leaves a lot of room for some other teams I'll mention in a minute. But first, 
Let's go to Kevin Figures with the latest. All right, Bernie, Friday night in the NBA, the surprising Utah Jazz improving to 7-3. and three. They defeated the Lakers in Los Angeles 130-116. to L.A. falls to 2-6 and six with the loss. Elsewhere, Jeremy Grant drained a jumper at the buzzer, leading Portland to a 108-106 to victory in Phoenix. Grant did lead all scorers with 30 points. Milwaukee now 8-0, the only remaining undefeated team in the NBA, as Giannis Antetokounmpo scored a triple-double, leading them to a 115 to 102 win over Minnesota. Pelicans defeating the Warriors 114 to 105. Golden State resting four of their five starters there. Wins for Dallas, Boston, and the Clippers. Kevin Durant just missed a triple-double. He led the Nets to a victory over Washington 128 to 86. College football, Washington defeated 23rd-ranked Oregon State 24 to 21. Wins for UConn and Duke. NFL injury news, Colts running back Jonathan Taylor will miss Sunday's game against the Patriots with an ankle injury. Chargers will be without receivers Mike Williams and Keenan Allen against the Falcons. Back to Bernie Fratto. Okay, thanks so much, Kevin. Uh, again, I just want to reiterate this. You, so you got t- Tennessee, Ohio State, Georgia, and Clemson. And remember, over the first eight years of this four-team format, only 19 of the 32 teams that rolled out first pass in that initial ranking that were in the top four ended up in the playoffs. That's 59%. So if you're one of these teams on the outside looking in currently, whether you're a Michigan or you're, you're, you're a TCU or even an Alabama, take heart because not only have things changed, it's almost it's almost inevitable things are going to change. In fact, there have been some very low-ranking teams in the initial rankings that actually made it to the Final Four. You've probably forgotten Ohio State in 2014, when they lost to Navy to start the season, or was it Virginia, excuse me, and had a close one against Navy. At this time in 2014, the Buckeyes were ranked 16th. They end up coming back to win the whole championship in uh, January of 2015 when they just destroyed uh, Oregon. And in the following year, Oklahoma in 2015, they were 15th. They came back. Those were the only two teams outside the top 10 but it can happen. On the other end of the scale, seven of the eight number one teams in the first college football playoff rankings and 14 of the 16 teams initially ranked in the top two, they've made the playoff pretty much, but it's not 100%. The exceptions, again, number one, Mississippi State back in 2014. And don't forget, LSU came out of the gate in 2015, ranked number two. They came back to get, uh, you know, it, it didn't look the same when the final rankings came out the second week in December. So just just hold that thought. And tomorrow we're gonna gonna have some movement most likely. Uh, now I talked about the Georgia Alabama game, or check that the Georgia Tennessee game, which as it currently stands will be the most heavily bet regular season college football game on record. And you may ask yourself. Uh, all right, Bernie, why why are you betting Georgia? Why are you laying the eight? Now, remember, the line came out. The books released this line early three weeks ago, and Tennessee was initially an 11.5-point underdog. And I know that uh, sent some, people's, some people going crazy. But remember, Las Vegas is not in the prediction business. They are not in the fortune-telling business. They are in the managing of risk business. So a a line is not a predictor. It's merely an instrument so the books can minimize risk 
and maximize profit. Well, at 11 and a half, 91% of the bets up until Friday that come in were on Tennessee grabbing the points. The line's now down to eight. You can even find seven and a half in some spots. Okay, you can say, shame on me, I got it at eight. I mean, I could have got it at seven and a half. Seven and a half and eight are dead numbers. Don't worry about that. It's the same number, basically. Unless, especially, don't. I don't. I don't want to break that down right now. I'm going to get too deep into it. But as of Friday now, 69% of the bets are on Georgia. Remember, Alabama was an eight point and nine point favorite at Knoxville a few weeks back, and Bama had 17 penalties. They led by seven before a questionable pass interference call changed the game and still it took a missed field goal that would have won the game for Alabama for Tennessee to pull this game out so I'm going to get to the point now as to why I bet Georgia okay the number one basic tenet of sports handicapping particularly in football is you look for fundamental strengths versus weaknesses and I found a couple Tennessee currently ranks 40th in pass defense efficiency, and they rank 127th out of 131 schools in passing yards allowed. You heard me right, 127th. The Vols are behind North Texas and Kent State, for crying out loud, in terms of passing yards allowed. Meanwhile, Georgia, everybody knows they got a great defense. I'm going to get to that in a minute. Statistically, currently, they're better than last year's defense, and they had five guys in the first round. Go to the NFL. But the Bulldogs, Georgia Bulldogs, are currently 6th in FBS in points scored per game at 42, 41.8. They're 2nd in yards per game. They're averaging 530 yards per game, and they're 2nd in yards per play at 6.9. Georgia will have no trouble moving the ball on Tennessee's offense. None. None. If Georgia scores less than 36 points, I'll be shocked. The question is, do they cover the 8? Well, Georgia's stop rate on defense what does that mean? That those are drives where you do not allow a score. Seventh best in the country. 77%. Credible. For comparison's sake, Tennessee's defensive stop rate is 71.4%. Very respectable. But they rank 22nd in the nation. By the way, last year, Georgia was first in stop rate. Tennessee was 87th. And Tennessee had their worst offensive production last year against Georgia. Now, in the red zone, Tennessee's touchdown percentage is 80%, second best in the SEC. But Georgia's defense ranks first in the SEC in red zone defense. They only allow, they only allow touchdowns 29% of the time. Now, on third downs, Tennessee converts about 51% of the time, third best in the SEC. Meanwhile, Georgia's defense... They rank second in the SEC in third down defense. They only allow you to convert that third down about 28% of the time. Finally, finally, Tennessee is a highlight reel machine. They have a big-time propensity for long plays. You see it every week, and they're really good. Hendon Hooker is really good, and he's got a group of talented people to throw the ball to. Matter of fact, Tennessee currently has, they lead the nation in long plays, meaning plays, of 30 yards or more. Tennessee has already had 36 such plays in eight games of 30 yards or more. And they've had 22 plays of 40 yards for more. But see, Georgia specializes in preventing those. They're tied for 12th nationally for the fewest amount of 30-yard plays. They've only allowed 10 all year. Now, 
Why is that? Well, Georgia's so athletic, but if you've watched Tennessee on film this year, okay, one of the things I've noticed is people really respect their athleticism, as they should. So when it comes to defending Tennessee, you see a lot of zone coverage. And the reason for that is they don't want to get burned deep. They want to keep everything in front of them. So the receivers get a free release off the line of scrimmage and their plays go out unabated. I think Georgia has the athletes in the moxie. And again, they're home to Georgia's going to, Tennessee's going to see some man coverage. They're going to see some press coverage. They're going to see routes disrupted off the line of scrimmage. Georgia's also very, very difficult to run the ball uh, against. And remember this. I said you look for the fundamental basis in handicapping is you look for strengths versus weaknesses. Georgia, total defense. Now, this is basically a lot of metrics, but if you, you can really boil it down to per possession scoring advantage versus defensive drive efficiency. It's not brain surgery. You can figure that out. Per possession scoring advantage versus defensive drive efficiency, Georgia ranks number one in the country in total defense. Tennessee ranks 33rd. Make no mistake, Georgia's offense is very good too, as is Tennessee's. But Georgia's defense is much better, and they're home. I feel Georgia wins. I, I They've got about a 77% chance of winning the game based on metrics. The question is, do they cover the eight? We'll see tomorrow night when I sign on at 11 p.m. Pacific if I'm right or if I'm wrong. It's going to be a great game. Look, as I said earlier, Tennessee has scored 30 or more points in 11 straight games. Georgia has not allowed 30 points at home in 37 straight games. Something most likely has to give, and you know where uh, my, my heart lies. Coming up, I want to give you some, some, some quick hitters, and, and I want to... I want to step outside the box for for just a second here, and I want to I want to recognize a gentleman by the name of Ray Guy, a legendary Raiders punter, uh, who's most noted for being the only punter ever drafted in the first round. A genius move by Al Davis back in 1973. But Ray Guy was the real deal. But he he was a legend in terms of his epic athletic accomplishments above and beyond just being a punter. And I think you'll get a kick out of some of this folklore. Plus, hey, remember, we've got another big NFL weekend coming upon us. And I'm going to give you a couple of quick tips on a couple of games you might want to keep an eye on. And what's the single most important factor? Now that we're past November 1st, everybody likes to bet total bets, right? What's the single most important factor in finding the best NFL under bets from November 1st on? As the weather's breaking, I will tell you, and I will tell you what the numbers tell us going back 15 years. I'm Bernie Fratter. We're coming to you live from the Tyrac.com studios here in Las Vegas of Fox Sports Radio. Keep it locked right here. You're listening to the Bernie Fratto Show on Fox Sports Radio. Hey, it's me, Rob Parker. Check out my weekly MLB podcast, Inside the Parker, for 22 minutes of piping hot baseball talk featuring the biggest names and newsmakers in the sport. Whether you believe in analytics or the eye test, we've got all the bases covered. New episodes drop every Thursday, so do yourself a favor and listen to Inside the Parker with Rob Parker on the iHeartRadio app, 
or wherever you get your podcast. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notify, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to $1,500 again sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in Ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park that's 1-800-GAMBLER On the Bernie Fratto Show, Fox Sports Radio, coming to you live from the Tyrac.com studios here in Las Vegas. Coming up top of the hour, Mark Medina, time for Medina Magic. Boy, do we have a lot to talk about. Not all of it involves on-the-court play. All right, before I get to Ray Guy, the single most important factor in finding the best NFL underbets, now that we have crossed November 1st, Look for games where there is wind of 20 miles per hour or more. You may have heard Mike Carmen talking with, when he was on earlier tonight with Arnie, uh, talking with Todd Furman, mentioned, one of the, for instance, the Bears game, 15 mile an hour per winds, right? If it's 20 miles per hour or more in the last 15 years. There's a lot of data on this. Wind affects totals more than anything, more than rain, more than snow, because it makes it much more difficult to pass if it's 20 miles an hour. Okay, and if that happens in the last 15 years when a game has featured uh, weather where winds are 20 miles an hour or more, the average realized NFL points in those games on the aggregate, 38 points per game. So if you, if you see a game where the wind is projected to be that and the total is 39 or above, you know where to go. It's about a 72% conversion. Uh, is success rate. Let's put it that way. By the way, one other thing. Andy Reid is great coming off a bye, but I, I will caution folks. You're, you're paying the Andy Reid tax. You're paying the KC tax. Teams coming off a bye week since 2010, and they're laying double digits. They're laying 12.5 against Tennessee, only 5-14 and 14 against the spread, 31% against the spread since 2010. Could be a trap. Look, if you didn't learn your lesson last night, we're laying 13.5. Uh, Philly was laying 13 and a half against Houston, didn't cover. How about two weeks ago or last week uh, when Tampa Bay lost to uh, Carolina laying 13? Lost all right. You get the picture. It was two weeks ago. Excuse me. All right. Speaking of legends, football legends, Ray Guy passed away the other day. The legendary Raiders punter, the first punter ever to be selected in the first round of the NFL draft. He was picked 23rd overall, played his entire career with the Raiders, seven Pro Bowl teams, part of three Super Bowl teams. The guy averaged 50 yards per punt in high school. Oh, by the way, I mentioned high school. 
On Ray Guy's high school football team, on offense, he played quarterback, running back, kick returner. And on defense, he played linebacker and safety. He also kicked. Oh, yeah, and he, he actually punted for his high school team, Ray Guy. He, he never came off the field. They won the state championship. He averaged 50 yards a punt in high school. What's interesting is Ray also played baseball, but the day after the high school state championship football game, the, the basketball team had a game. Now, he hadn't even picked up a ball in almost a year, hadn't been able to attend in single practice because he was busy with basketball. Ray Guy, the day after the state high school championship football game, steps onto the basketball court and scores 39 points. Later that spring, in the high school baseball semifinals, he needed to help the baseball team out. He came out, pitched a 15-game, a 15-inning complete game shutout. Yeah. Drafted first round by Al Davis. By the way, I remember when he first got into the league, one opposing coach accused the Raiders of putting helium in the ball. And Al Davis is like, hey, buddy, we're using the same football. And by the way, Ray Guy did this in college as well. He once kicked a 61-yard field goal in college in the snow and once had a 93-yard uh, punt uh, in college as well. Rest in peace, Ray Guy. You were a legend. You were a legendary Raider. And uh, you were a heck of a... Heck of a highlight for the National Football League. Coming up, keep it locked. This is Bernie Fratto. We're going to talk to Mark Medina. This is the Bernie Fratto Show. Keep it locked. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it and travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel, it's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. The Bernie Fratto Show keeps rolling right along. We're broadcasting live from the TireRack.com studios. TireRack.com will help you get there. An unmatched selection, fast free shipping, free road hazard protection, and over 10,000 recommended installers. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. All right. So much to talk about. It's that time of week. Glad to have him. It's that time for Medina Magic. Hit that button, Chris. All right, at this time, pretty much every week, we welcome in a gentleman. He's our NBA guru, and you hear him all around the network, and he's written for multiple modalities, and I believe he's even at the Laker game tonight. Mark, how are you, buddy? I am good, man. I'm just trying to keep up with all this NBA news because it is rapid fire, and I don't think it's ever going to die down. 
No, it's it's that time of year, and what's interesting is the news cycle is 24 hours, and it never changes. And I understand now we're going to certainly get into the Kyrie, uh, Kyrie thing here in a second, but uh, it's my understanding that LeBron finally has spoken. What 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 can you tell us? Yeah, he was uh, pretty forthright about it. I mean, he he said he called it like it is. He said that he believes that what Kyrie did caused some harm to a lot of people. Uh, so he made zero excuses for what Kyrie did with promoting and you know an anti-Semitic film. And LeBron also pointed out that you know it, his production company last month actually pulled an episode. Uh, on the shop that featured Kanye West. Um, and, you know, it was their thought that, hey, if they get him in this room and they talk about things that can be done in a constructive manner, but Kanye wound up just spouting a bunch more of anti-Semitic comments. And so they decided, you know what, we're not going to air the episode. And so I, I think he brought that up to illustrate that, you know, these things matter and you have to be very careful with what you promote. So, um, yeah, he, he's obviously his words mean a lot because of what LeBron's stature is to the NBA and being Kyrie Irving's former teammate. And frankly, it was overdue because unfortunately a lot of NBA players have been pretty muted about this whole incident. So I'm glad that LeBron finally spoke out on it. Yeah, the usual suspects, and LeBron was certainly part of that. Greg Popovich is never shy when it comes to speaking out, and uh, certainly Steve Kerr. And the NBA, it's my understanding, has really willingly branded themselves as social justice warriors, but it felt like it was selective, right? So let me ask, let me ask you a question, uh, uh, Mark. Uh, Kyrie Irving has said multiple times, that he didn't mean to offend anybody or he, he didn't intend to offend anybody. What exactly then were his intentions in posting that content? Yeah, that's the thing. I can't accept his explanation at face value because anyone that has, you know, any sort of knowledge about that documentary would know that it's anti-Semitic, it's, it's historically accurate, inaccurate, and that it can cause a lot of damage to the Jewish community. And so there's zero excuse for that. As far as the league's reaction, you know, they certainly weren't defending Kyrie. You know, the NBA and the Players Union last week sent out statements condemning all forms of anti-Semitism and made it clear they don't condone that. But I thought it was very weak because they didn't call out Kyrie Irving by name. And words only go so far. You know, actions speak louder than words. But I think it was their hope that Kyrie would eventually come around and apologize. And he just doubled down and triple down. Um, and so that's, I think, what prompted the league uh, to then send out another statement from Adam Silver, who's Jewish, by the way, and provided more condemnation and saying that he expected to meet with Kyrie. Uh, that also prompted the Brooklyn Nets to suspend him for at least five games without paying. It could be more. But here's the reality, Bernie. I mean, they've already set precedent. When Donald Sterling, the former Clippers owner, That's uh, right. was recorded making racist comments, uh, he was immediately banned for life by Adam Silver and was forced to sell the team. When Robert Sarver, the former Suns uh, owner, when the uh, when the NBA's investigative team uh basically confirmed media reports about all these uh, workplace violations involving racist behavior and language, as well as uh, 
as well as sexual harassment. Uh, they had an initial weak response, but eventually there was enough pressure from the league and the players to have him sell the team. So, you know, actions always speak louder than words. And so while I think that part of it was to give the benefit of the doubt to Kyrie, I think Kyrie has shown that he doesn't deserve to have the benefit of the doubt. So it's been disappointing how the league's responded to it. Talking with Mark Medina, covers NBA for Fox Sports Radio as well as NBA.com. You hear him all around uh, the network. It begs the question, uh, then, what happens next? And I'll tell you why I asked that. It feels like this five-game suspension, I put in air quotes, by the Nets is a little cryptic. And I don't believe Kyrie's apology is really an apology. First, he did it on Instagram. Second, Secondly, he never really wanted to apologize. That's pretty clear because he had multiple chances. Didn't do it until after the suspension. Is it possible this is the Nets merely u- utilizing this as a method to buy time and figure out what they want to do from here? Yeah, I think your instincts are correct. I think it's a method to buy time. I think it's also to see what else Kyrie does. I mean, uh, Sean Marks, the Nets general manager, made it clear today that he expects that Kyrie will meet with the organization as well as Jewish leaders. Uh, You know, Adam Silver said that he expects to meet with Kyrie, but I think that it's really setting up the writing on the wall that uh, there's no way around it. Kyrie Irving is not playing with the Brooklyn Nets uh, for a new contract after this season. But it's also very well possible that Kyrie Irving has played his last game with the Brooklyn Nets, period. Um, And so I I think by doing this, this might allow the Nets some wiggle room as far as not having to go through certain legal procedures with the players union and all that. Um, But the reality is Kyrie's on thin ice. And I don't want to say his career is entirely over. Maybe there's a scenario that next summer when he becomes a free agent like there's some team like the lakers that decides hey let's sign him on a you know relative discount deal but you know the writing is on the wall that he's no longer going to be paid a max contract salary afforded for nba star players like himself and kyrie has only himself to blame you know i i've for a long time not understood why they enable him he wore out his welcome in Cleveland, wore out his welcome in Boston, ghosted the team last year to go to some birthday party, ditched him again on some Zoom call for some political candidate, missed two weeks, doesn't call Steve Nash. Uh, the whole vaccination, uh, you know, obfuscation was craziness, missed about 60 games. And then he doesn't return Joe size texts. Yet he's been enabled. The Brooklyn yeah, Nets are... Go ahead, Mark. Yeah, I was going to say it's absolutely ridiculous, um, and I, I'm not a, I'm not defending it at all because I hate to pat myself on the back, but as soon as uh, Kevin Durant and James Harden uh, teamed up with uh, Kyrie Irving, I said two years ago Kyrie hey, Mark, screwed this up somehow. Hey Mark, I'm diving yeah. in. I don't know if you can hear the static. Could we, uh, Chris, Ethan, could we try Mark back uh, on the other line, please? Because I want to keep Mark a few more minutes, and I think the static uh, is is a little bit of a distraction. You guys with me? If we could please, thanks, guys. Okay, try it back. All right, is Mark still there? All right, look, we're we're talking. We're gonna we're gonna dial up Mark. Uh, 
Medina. We're in the middle of our conversation with Kyrie Irving. It's been a very eventful week, and currently Kyrie Irving is suspended for five games by the Brooklyn Nets, which raises questions as to whether or not he'll ever play for the Nets again, what his future holds, what Joe Sy's next move is. LeBron James is, has now spoken out. And we're also really sort of analyzing this dumpster fire known now as the Brooklyn Nets because uh, the bottom line is is we've got a situation where they, they, they're, they're a rudderless ship, they don't have a coach, uh, and, uh, well, they don't have a full-time coach. And, okay, that's their business if they want to hire Ime Adoka. It's not my business, it's theirs. But the optics of this on top of everybody else, uh, on top of everything else, uh, really begs the question as to what is with the leadership in this organization? Because last year, or last summer, wasn't not last year, just last summer, uh, Look, the management said we we want everybody in. We want everybody on board. I, I you know Kevin Durant wanted out, and they brought him back, and it, it looked like Kyrie might be gone. Now they brought him back, and they run it back, and the team doesn't want to play a lick of defense. And you understand what's happening there. So I would just say this: that this Kyrie situation is going to be a primer. What will it look like if they bring him back? Will he do something again? He, he wore out his welcome in Cleveland. He wore out his welcome in Boston. Again, he ghosted the team at a birthday party. He ditched him again on a, on a Zoom call situation. He missed two weeks, didn't call Steve Nash. He didn't get vaccinated, uh, He, which I guess is his choice. But when you're in a situation like that, when you're living in New York, he really hurt his team, and now his his boss, Joe Sy, sends multiple texts about the situation. Oh, we've got Mark back. All right, Mark, uh, what I wanted to inquire about next was was simply this. What will it look like? How will it be accepted if the Brooklyn Nets follow through and hire Amy Adoka? I think it's just causing yet another problem. I mean, look, the problem with the Brooklyn Nets all along is that they haven't stood up for anything right. Like, they've allowed, uh, I think, kind of the short-term benefits of the lure of having a talented player dictate everything. I mean, all the problems trace back to two things, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant and allowing them to decide what they should do. And for Kevin Durant, maybe it's earned because he's been a gamer whenever healthy, but Kyrie, his leadership has been terrible and his availability has been unreliable. And so fast-forwarding with this Ime Aduka hire, I mean, look, he had a lot of success in Boston, but there's – questions from a basketball standpoint can that translate to the Nets given that the Nets don't have the same defensive personnel as the Celtics do but the more more important thing is this guy is serving a one-year suspension from the Boston Celtics for very legitimate reasons of all these different allegations involving inappropriate relationships with a female employee and so if the Nets are talking about hey we're about the culture and then they're going to hire a coach who has a checkered past so much that the Celtics don't want to have anything to do with them for an entire year and that they're willing to let him walk without any sort of compensation of money and draft picks. I think that's a giant red flag. And so I think the solution here with the coaching staff, with the players, they just had to blow it up. Like there's no scenario where the Nets can salvage this. I think they got to cut their losses with whatever they can with letting Kyrie Irving go, trading Kevin Durant, and then finding a good head coach 
that has the chops to help develop players for the long term as opposed to worrying about, you know, trying to win now. But clearly that's not the uh, direction that the Nets are going to head in. But once again, I think they're going to regret this decision. So there is so much in the news, Mark. You're going to be on with us again Saturday night at midnight. We'll get more into basketball. Who knew the Lakers at this point only one win less than the Golden State Warriors, although there's a context (laughs) to that. Everything has a context, right? All right, I want to talk about the Josh Primo situation because it crosses several spheres, and I know that Greg Popovich deflected it tonight. Uh, Tell the folks what you know about that and what's happening in San Antonio. Yeah, well, that's another serious incident because the Spurs uh, wound up waving a player that they had only drafted uh, last year. He was a highly touted prospect, and they were, you know, very high on his potential. But what came out was there were accusations that he had uh, made inappropriate uh, gestures with exposing himself to different female employees. Now, there is a lawsuit that has been filed against the San Antonio Spurs alleging that they knew much more about the allegations that they let on. And while Greg Popovich, uh, before today's game, declined to gain the specifics, he was referring to the lawyers on both sides of the aisle, he made it clear that the organization took allegations seriously and looked into it. So, um, you know, I I know that Greg Popovich obviously has a very respected track record, not only as a head coach, but what he means off the court. Uh, withstanding for the right things. Um, and so I do understand to a degree that there's only so many things he can say from a legal standpoint. But what is really scratching my head is the Spurs statement basically implies that what the accuser is accusing is fabricated and wrong. So obviously the truth will emerge, but it's unclear if it's on one extreme or the other or if there's some gray area in between. Um, so, very difficult situation, to say the least. My understanding, the accuser is a fairly high-ranking executive with the the Spurs as well. Is that correct? Yes, and I think what's going to be interesting here, yes, and what's I think going to be interesting here is, you know, kind of the chain in command with the Spurs organization, where on one hand there's the basketball operations side of things. And then on the other hand, there's the business and managerial side. So, you know, from that standpoint, there is a window that what Greg Popovich is saying is that is completely accurate. But there's also a scenario that the shortcomings on how the Spurs handle these accusations fall more on the managerial side. But we'll have to wait and see. All right, good stuff, Mark. Uh, we'll talk to you again in about uh, 24 hours, and we'll. We'll do a little bit more con- conversing on on the court issues, unless, of course, there's more craziness. Thanks again, Mark. Uh, thank you so much as always, and looking forward to it tomorrow. Right, thanks, Mark. It's Mark Medina, NBA.com. He's our NBA Fox Sports Radio guru. Coming up, we go back to college football. Who were the Week Nine winners and losers? There were a handful this week, and that will lead up to. By the way, a little later in the show, the twelve-team playoff can't get here fast enough i've been belly aching about the fact that you've got five power conferences and four teams you can already see this is going to get crowded there's already going to be controversy the 12 team playoff can't get here fast enough what would it look like this year if the 12 team playoff existed now i'll give you the names of the teams in the field the matchups and all that good stuff 
little fun and frolicking, fanciful information here that uh, is just wishful thinking at this point, but the 12-team playoff will be here soon enough. I'm Bernie Frado. We're coming to you live from Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio Studios, Tyrac.com Studios. So keep it locked right here. You're listening to the Bernie Frado Show on Fox Sports Radio. We're back on the Bernie Frado Show, Fox Sports Radio. We're coming to you live from the Tyrac.com studios here in Las Vegas. And college football and the season continues to build to a crescendo. But it's not always just about the Alabamas and the Georgias and the Tennessees and the Ohio States and Michigans. Every week there are winners and losers. We like to highlight them uh, around this time. And... You know, for instance, there are schools like Kansas State. They make the winners category because, remember, two weeks ago, they had an 18-point lead to TCU, a team I mentioned earlier that I think, if you really assessed it properly, could make a case, could be the in, in the initial Final Four uh, first pass, right? That doesn't mean they're going to be there at the end, but based on what they've done. But Kansas State still ranked 22nd. They come. They, they 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 explode on Oklahoma State. They lead thirty-five nothing at halftime. They close the deal forty-eight nothing. This is a good Oklahoma State team. Okay, they're ranked ninth. Adrian Martinez. I've always joked about. He had a great decade at Nebraska. He didn't play. So their backup quarterback, a guy by the name of Will Howard, two hundred ninety-six yards and four touchdowns, and he outduels Spencer Sanders. And so give it up to Kansas State. That is quite a win. And what that does is put Kansas State back in the short list to potentially get to the Big 12 championship game and find themselves in a New, York, New Year's uh, Six Bowl, possibly. And that, it, at the same time, really hurts Oklahoma State. Notre Dame, all right. They've been really up and down, and there's a lot of sort of question marks about who is Notre Dame because they can look very good or not so good. Uh, but last week, <clears throat> they dominated a very good Syracuse team, beat him by 17. And uh, I would say this is probably the best game of Marcus Freeman's young tenure there at, at Notre Dame. Syracuse is ranked 16th. Uh, Notre Dame ran the ball well. Uh, they, you know, scored four touchdowns on the ground. It doesn't, re- you know, it doesn't get the bad taste out of their mouth after losing to Marshall and Stanford. But what's interesting is they're going to get to play Clemson and they're going to get to play USC and Notre Dame has played a little bit better in the last month than they did in the first month. So th- this is still a school that could end up with eight or nine wins, but give them top credit for uh, hammering a, a pretty good Syracuse team. Although on this show, I did predict that would happen. I didn't predict they'd kill them like the way they did because, remember, Syracuse coming off that dream crusher having lost to Clemson and ruining their uh, undefeated season. Louisville, wow. I don't know what Scott Satterfield's deal is, but he seems to – the dog recovered eight in a row against – in that series with Wake Forest, and now it's nine in a row. Louisville, two defensive touchdowns as part of a third quarter in which Louisville scored 35 points, forced eight turnovers against Wake Forest, one of the most prolific offensive teams in the country, one of the most important wins of the Scott Satterfield era. And this is a team that lost to Boston College by a point last month, but they've now rolled off three consecutive victories. They're on their way to... Bowl eligibility, and I, I think that uh, it really hurts. It really hurt Wake Forest, 
They wanted to be in a New Year's Six Bowl, and I don't know that they're going to the Orange Bowl now. Iowa, we've been making fun of Iowa all year in their offense. Couldn't score with a fistful of 50s and a house of ill repute, but they not only scored a touchdown, they scored not one, not two, three offensive touchdowns. We must be living in bizarre world. Give it up to Iowa, the biggest single-game performance. They gained 428 yards against Maryland last year. Iowa comes up with 393 against Northwestern. Boise State, they were in the doghouse earlier in the year. They lost 27-10 to Texas El Paso. All of a sudden, the Broncos playing themselves back into the mix for a group of five good bowl game, 49-10 over Colorado State, who's been overmatched all year, and... Boise State's a program that's been very respectable the last 15 years. With Brian Harson departing Auburn, people were wondering, might he come back to Boise State? Who knows? I, I don't like to talk in those terms because Boise State has a coach. But they've got a new quarterback, Taylor Green. He was a backup after Hank Bachmeyer decided to transfer in late September. This kid's completing 67% of his throws, and they're beating good teams, and they've won four in a row, so... Boise State. The losers, we're going to get to them in a minute. you got to put Penn State in that category. you certainly got to put Michigan State in that category. And just for good measure, Cincinnati, Texas A&M, and Auburn. And I will explain why. But first, let's go back to our man, Kevin Figures, with the latest. All right, Bernie. Got starting in the NBA with the Milwaukee Bucks, improving to an NBA best 8-0 with a 115-102 victory over Minnesota. Giannis Antetokounmpo, 26 points, 14 boards, and 11 dimes. Utah defeating the Lakers in Los Angeles, 130-116, improving to 7-3 on the year. Jeremy Grant with 30 points and the game-winning jumper leading Portland over Phoenix. Dallas over Toronto, 111-110 as Luka Doncic scored 35 points. 35 points for Paul George as well as the Clippers defeated San Antonio, Grizzlies, Cavaliers, Nets, and Knicks, all with victories as well. College football, Washington made a field goal in the final seconds to defeat 23rd-ranked Oregon State 24-21. Duke defeated Boston College 38-31. UConn a 27-10 victory over UMass. Injury news out of the NFL. Bills linebacker Matt Milano questionable against the Jets with an oblique injury. Jets receiver Corey Davis is out for that game as well with a knee injury. Rams receiver Cooper Cup will play despite being limited in practice practice this week with an ankle injury they will take on tampa bay back to bernie fratto all right thanks kevin all right so penn state i just mentioned them i don't know what it is it's like death taxes in penn state when they played michigan or ohio state it just you know the nittany lions are a long time prod program i really wonder if uh well certainly financially probably joining the big 10 back in 1994 has been a good thing but I always – Penn State wouldn't have lost to those schools in the 80s and the 70s. They just wouldn't have. But, you know, they, they got embarrassed by Michigan when the Wolverines put up 416 yards on the ground and lost by 24. Then last week they competed with Ohio State for a while. Then all of a sudden Ohio State f- flipped the switch and they do what they do because they're very, very, very dynamic. And so there you have it. Uh, I would say as long as Penn State's running game holds up and the, clearly the toughest part of their schedule is behind them now and look to November, Penn State can still play for and has hopes for a New Year's Six bowl game. But they're not going to finish any higher than third of the Big Ten. And, uh, and this is fifth, fifth or sixth straight year now. And so... If you're a Penn State diehard, you just can't be pleased with what happened there. 
Michigan State, my goodness, what a difference a year makes. Michigan State was one of the nation's top teams last season. They earned a spot in the Peach Bowl. They were number nine in the final USA Today poll. Mel Tucker uh, was rewarded with one of the largest contracts in FBS history. Then they get smashed by Michigan. The Spartans are three and five overall. They're just one and four in Big Ten play. They're tied with Indiana and Rutgers at the bottom of the Big Ten East. And now they're going to have to win three games. And they, it, it, on deck, they've got Illinois, Rutgers, Indiana, and Penn State. None of those are a gimme. None. And it, for Michigan State just to get to a bowl game, they've got to win three games. <clears throat> a little later in the show, too, I've talked to my moles in Michigan and gotten firsthand account of what happened in the tunnel. And I would just say this. Michigan State embarrassed itself on a level that was is going to have long-term effects. And from what people are telling me, I believe a couple of those young men are going to be facing criminal charges. Do I know that for a fact? No. But I know what this what's what's taking place there, and I think it's a real possibility they face criminal charges for what they did. We'll get to that a little later. Cincinnati, boy, you know, last year was a dream year. They they were the very first group of five team to reach the playoff. They're ranked 19th, but clearly they're going to struggle just to get back to the AAC championship game. Remember, I talked about Central Florida being the side last week. Well, they they came through for us. Central Florida beat Cincinnati 25-21. And really, maybe you got spoiled last year with Desmond Ritter. When Why wouldn't you? But it was an incredibly underwhelming performance from the Bearcats offense. They gained just 330 yards, one and a half yards per carry on the ground. In this man's college football, that is pathetic. How long it had been since Cincinnati had even lost a game in conference play? Try three years. Back in 2019, they got beat by Memphis in the conference championship game. Boy, Texas A&M, another nightmare Saturday, another loss. This has to be the biggest disappointment in college football. All summer we were singing their praises about the NIL, Amplify program, and what has it netted them? What has it netted them? They started a freshman at quarterback last week, Connor Wegman, and he did throw four touchdown passes, and I would suspicion he's going to be the starter moving forward. But Texas A&M struggled on third down, and this is the part that blows me away. They got athletes here, right? They give up 390 yards on the ground. To Mississippi, losing 31 to 28. This is the fourth loss in a row, and now it's it's. If you would have predicted uh, that Texas A&M would be three and five after eight games, let's say last May when Nick Saban and, and Jimbo Fisher were having their little tête-à-tête, you said I've looked into a crystal ball and. Texas A&M is only going to be three and five heading into November. You would have been committed. They they were considered to be one of the top contenders of the SEC. And there's you know what does this say about Jimbo Fisher? This is incredible. Um, I don't know how they reboot this. Uh, they, they must have, they must feel the pressure of the world because they've got every resource known to man and a coach who came over with a good track record. I you know not my problem I guess. Auburn, well, there's good news and bad news. The bad news, Auburn lost again. This time it was 41-27 to Arkansas. And it continues to basically be, Auburn continues to just, you know, own the seller in the SEC West. That's just where they reside, right? Um, And this has been going on since September. But I guess, you know, the long and the short of it is, if you're an Auburn backer, 
the silver lining was after the game, the the uh, the narrative was, well, maybe this will be the impetus to start over with a new coach. And that's exactly what happened. After the game, they made a coaching change and Brian Harson will be moving along. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, I, I've always joked about there are horses for courses and this is not horses for courses or horses for not courses. It just didn't work out there. And I, and I don't know why. Um, I will say this though. The, the unbeaten teams stepped up pretty big last week because you have what my buddy Mark Lawrence likes to call the nooses tightening aspect. You're dealing with, you know, 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old men, national TV, uh, in this, in, you know, the white-hot intensity of a million suns media breathing down their neck. Every week, there's just no margin of error. So Tennessee and every other unbeaten team remained perfect last Saturday which is good for the fans. It sets up a, a November full of very impactful games, very meaningful games across every single Power 5 conference, okay? Georgia smacked Florida around. Florida got within eight points in the third quarter, and the Bulldogs, they hit that gear. Same thing with Ohio State did to Penn State. Michigan, not much trouble. They took a, took apart uh, an overmatched Michigan State team and then, you know, uh, led by Blake Corum. And then give it up, TCU, West Virginia. Hey, they weren't going to show up and, and, you know, hail Caesar. They wanted to conquer Caesar, but TCU came through. Top credit. Took a late Max Duggan touchdown pass. The Horned Frogs hold on 41-31, even cover the spread. So Tennessee, Ohio State, Michigan, Georgia, TCU, top credit. Five undefeated teams head into November. And uh, tomorrow, two of them... Or actually, check that later today, about 12 hours from now, two of them will teed up against each other when Georgia and Tennessee get after it. You know where I stand on that game. I think Georgia's defense is going to be the difference. Coming up, I don't like the 14 format anymore. Let's get to the 12 team format. It's going to happen. It's supposed to debut in 2024, but let's say just for fun, this is radio here, just for fun. While it's not officially finalized and recognized, certainly, what would a 12-team format look like this year if the field was expanded? We'll discuss. I'm Bernie Fratto. We're coming to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio Studios, the TireRack.com studios. Don't go away. You're listening to the Bernie Fratto Show on Fox Sports Radio. All right, back on the Bernie Fratto Show. We're coming to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio Studios, the TireRack dot com studios <clears throat> as we continue on with our college football extravaganza the first college football playoff rankings of 22 were released this last tuesday and um what we're going to do is we're going to speculate here now these aren't necessarily my predictions what i what we just what, here's what we're going to do we're going to assume that this format was in place this year, and in a way it's going to work. This has already been approved. This model has been approved. It hasn't been officially finalized yet, and it's supposed to debut in 2024, and it's not you know, been officially codified yet. But under the model that's been approved, the top four seeds will be reserved for the four highest-ranked conference champions. So just for the hell of it, let's say Tennessee makes a liar out of me and they run the table, and they win the SEC. Ohio State wins the Big Ten. Clemson wins the ACC, and TCU wins the Big 12. Under the new 14, the 12-team format, which will take place in 2024, 
those four teams would get a bye and advance to the quarterfinals. Now, under this same model, which has been approved, the next sixth highest-ranked conference champions are guaranteed berths. This is one thing I like, okay, because it's it's championship-based. you got to win your conference first, but that doesn't mean there are still aren't going to be at-large teams. There's going to be at-large teams. And so you'll have, you know, where the season to end today, say the fifth and sixth highest conference champions would be Oregon and the Pac-12 and Tulane in the AAC in terms of the highest ranked. But then, you know, a whole plethora of teams joining them in the field that would be comprised from the next six highest ranked remaining teams, which would be Georgia third, they're ranked third, Michigan, who's currently ranked fifth, Alabama, who's sixth, USC's ninth, LSU's tenth, and Ole Miss's eleventh. Now that's based on how things sit today. This is for entertainment purposes only. But let's pretend this 12 team Let's let's pretend this 12-team model was implemented now. Okay, so tell me if you like these games, all right? So you got your first round, and remember, I already mentioned the teams that have buys. So Friday, December 13th, you'd have a night game, USC at Oregon. Another thing, another aspect of the 12-team format is not all the games are on neutral fields. Some of these teams are at home. Saturday, December 14th, there would be a triple header. Check this out. Tulane would visit Georgia. Then four hours later, Ole Miss would visit Michigan. And then LSU would visit Alabama. Right? So the first the first round games, there's four of them. They'd all be played on the campuses of these schools based on the higher seed in the third week in December. Well, the third weekend in December. Now, depending on which games are placed in which slots, it'd basically be determined by the TV people who are paying money for all this. So, you know, if they decide they want LSU and Alabama in the primetime selection, they're going to get it, right, because they're footing the bill. Uh, I think more people would rather see that than, than Oregon, but that's just saying, okay. And, you know, I, I know that Big Ten fans – have always kvetched about how come SEC schools never tr- come up to our campus. Well, this playoff format would give us, give that a chance to happen. We'll see if a team like Ole Miss, how would they do going up to Ann Arbor to play a game in December? And they don't play games in, in Ann Arbor in December, so that in and of itself would be interesting. So now you get to the quarterfinals, and that's where the other bowls start to weigh in. So you're implementing the current bowl, you know, the, the, the current name bowls, for instance, the first quarterfinal game would be, according to this, there'd be about a two-week layoff, and then on a Tuesday, New Year's Eve, this is 2024 now, would be the Peach Bowl, and it would be number three Clemson, who had the bye, versus the Michigan Ole Miss winner. Starts to get a little interesting. Then on New Year's Day, you'd have the Fiesta Bowl. Again, this is all hypothetical based on a 12-team format. You'd have TCU, currently ranked number fourth, coming off their bye. They would face the Georgia Tulane winner. I think a Georgia TCU game would be entertaining. The Rose Bowl would be number two, Ohio State, versus the winner of Alabama LSU. Now you're really getting interesting. And then the Sugar Bowl would be Tennessee, who's currently number one. They would face the winner of Oregon USC. Now, it would be expected or presumed that the current New Year's Six bowls would rotate 
hosting, you know, they get, they'd all get their shot at hosting the quarterfinals and semifinals with the goal of playing most of the quarterfinals on New Year's Day. So these are all playoff games now. They matter. They're not exhibition games. And, you know, and, and the bowl committee said that they would they would try to assign schools with some consideration to their current contract bowl relationships, okay? That's why you see, you know, Sugar Bowl, Tennessee would be in there. Uh, Rose Bowl, Ohio State would be in there. You, 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 you get the picture. Then it gets even more interesting. Now you skip. Now the, by the way, this whole darn thing plays out over a month, literally. Because now the semifinals, according to this, this model, wouldn't start. And I like this. Thursday, January 9th. Tell me you wouldn't love that. Midweek playoff game. So now you flip to the Cotton Bowl. Let's say Ohio State wins their game and Alabama wins their game or LSU or Clemson. It would be either Ohio State or Alabama or LSU versus either Clemson, Michigan, or Ole Miss. That would be in the Cotton Bowl. And then the next night, the Orange Bowl would be either Tennessee, Oregon State, or USC versus TCU, Georgia, or Tulane. You'd have to wait and see what would happen. They'd have to win and, and play their game their games okay so you ha- you have to have a little poetic license here okay the, the commissioners none of the dates of these semifinals have been you know determined but we know they'd be at least a week later than the quarterfinals and the college football playoff they're going to avoid scheduling them opposite any kind of you know nfl wild card weekend so i like this idea of playing on a thursday or playing on a friday i think it's novel and i think it's going to work work really well and of course, the national championship game, according to this model, would be played um, on Monday, January 20th. So the thing starts December 13th, runs all the way to January 20th. Can you imagine all the water cooler arguments? And that will that will stay on Monday night because the NFL's divisional round has a stronghold on all weekend games, right? So you look at the tournament that I just mentioned. Let's say Oregon beats SC, Georgia beats Tulane, Michigan beats Ole Miss, Bama beats LSU, Tennessee beats Oregon, Georgia beats TCU. Okay, so then the dance partners move. And then Michigan beats Clemson, Ohio State beats Alabama, Georgia beats Tennessee, Ohio State beats Michigan. That leaves Ohio State versus Georgia. I know that sounds familiar. That could even happen this year, right? So you see all that going around the Mulberry Bush, you end up where you might end up this year. But at least in the playoffs, schools have a chance. We all know in March Madness, the 64 teams, it's a badge of honor just to go. So can you imagine the novelty of some of these schools playing not only playoff games on their home campuses, but having to win two or three and find themselves in a situation where if you get hot at the end, even if you had that bad loss and didn't win your conference earlier in the year, you're not dead. This is going to work. I can't wait for it to happen. To tell you the truth, I've never liked the fact that you have five power conferences and only four teams. Coming up, let's look at the college football six-pack slate. I'm Bernie Fratto. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. The Lakers fell to 2-6 and six on the season after Utah handed them a 130-116 defeat. Laurie Markkinen with 27 points and 13 rebounds for the Jazz, who are 7-3 and three on the season. Portland defeated Phoenix 108-106. Jeremy Grant hitting the game-winning jumper at the buzzer. Giannis Antetokounmpo with a triple-double. He led the Bucks to a 115-102 win over Minnesota. Milwaukee now 8-0 on the season. Boston defeated the Bulls 123-119 despite 46 points from DeMar DeRozan. Kevin Durant 28 points and 11 an assist to lead Brooklyn over Washington. Wins for the Clippers, Indiana, and the Knicks. NFL injury news. The Colts will be without running back Jonathan Taylor against the Patriots as he deals with an ankle injury. Rams receiver Cooper Cup will play against Tampa Bay despite dealing with an ankle ailment. In college football, Washington defeated number 23 Oregon State 24-21 on a last-second field goal. Victories for UConn and Duke. I'm Kevin Fickers. That's right. You heard the man. The Bernie Frato Show keeps rolling right along. We are broadcasting live from the TireRack.com studios. TireRack.com will help you get there. An unmatched selection, fast free shipping, free road hazard protection, and over 10,000 recommended installers. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. By the way, in about 15 minutes, we'll have a little fun with the crew. The Breeders' Cup. He's upon us, and uh, it's one of the most spectacular events in all of horse racing, often referred to as sort of like the fourth leg of the Triple Crown, as it were. So we'll have a little fun with the crew and give our picks on the Saturday edition of the uh, Breeders' Cup, the 11th race. I've got a pick in mind myself, even though I'm not a horse guy. I will tell you, this is a horse that comes along once in about 20 years. I will explain that coming up. Saturday... You know, you look at the calendar, and now it's already November 5th. Hard to believe. And um, it feels like, I don't know, it it doesn't feel like it should be this late into the college football season, but it is. And part of it is you're grateful for it because you you get tired of watching, you know, Michigan play Huckabucka Gulch five straight weeks, and now you're seeing real games that matter, that have real implications. And this is this is what you really live for when it comes to college football. And there are about six meaningful matchups I've kind of identified. And it's not just, by the way, it's not just the big one, Tennessee and Georgia, which I talked about earlier. Alabama LSU is going to be quite a tilt uh, on Saturday, and I'll get that to that in a second. But the odd thing about, well, it's not an odd thing, but you've when Tennessee and Georgia – hook up here in about 11 and a half hours. 
the winner is seemingly guaranteed to me just about as close to being guaranteed to a college football playoff berth than than you could even describe. But even if you lose, I mean, what if Tennessee loses to Georgia? Georgia goes on and advances to the SEC championship game, and they play Alabama, and Alabama beats Georgia. They know Alabama, Georgia, and Tennessee will all have a loss. But Bama will have beaten Georgia. Georgia will have beaten Tennessee. Tennessee will have beaten Bama. What do you do then? But Tennessee's offense is going to get their points. And I know Georgia defense is without Nolan Smith. But I will tell you, I will. I am still believing that Georgia's defense will be the difference in this game. The question is, will they cover? I think Georgia will win the game. The question is, will they cover? Georgia's best path to beating Tennessee basically involves a ball control offense and then limit the big plays on defense for Tennessee. I'd mentioned earlier, Tennessee's already had 36 plays this year of more than 30 yards. That's incredible. 22 plays of more than 40 yards. So I don't think, I don't think you're going to blow out the Vols, but can they win by 10? Yeah, and I don't call that a blowout unless Georgia – if Georgia turns the ball over, Tennessee could win. But for now, I'm, I'm sticking with Georgia. The best way for Tennessee to win – is to get off to a fast start down there at Sanford Stadium between the edges, hedges. Try to take the energy out of the crowd. Try to completely overwhelm Georgia because Georgia isn't really built to get into shootouts, but they can if they need to. I think this Georgia team is not talked a lot about a lot because they've been under the radar. They've had a couple of sort of close calls, and they lost those five NFL players on defense. But I think you're severely underestimating how good Georgia really is, and I expect Georgia to win Saturday. Um, uh, okay, I'll tell you what, just for the hell of it, I'll, I'll call it this way. Uh, Georgia 40, Tennessee 31. How's that? That's, that's, that's my call. We'll see. I'll be on the air here Saturday night, 11 p.m. I'll take my medicine. Either way. But then you got Alabama and LSU. I mean, this is no chop liver game. Alabama's ranked 6th. LSU's ranked 10th. All kinds of storylines here, you know. Not a lot of people are making as much fun of Brian Kelly as they used to with that goofy Southern accent. Turns out the dude can really coach. The dude can coach, man. When you think of the history between these two schools, the one game that I think gets everybody in an uproar is that horribly boring 9-6 championship game in 2011. Of course, if you bet the under, you weren't upset. Or actually, no, that was the regular season game. It was 9-6. But those two teams still followed up and played each other in the national championship game. Now, that was during the BCS era, right? And so, um, but these are two schools that have, when you put them in the ring together, you can you can maybe get about anything because even though it was the two teams played each other twice in 2011 and one game was 9-6 to and the other was 21 to nothing, wasn't that long ago, Joe Burrow was there, LSU beat Bama 46-41. So I think it's going to fall somewhere in between because both teams are better on offense than they are on defense. Bama clearly is the more explosive team. They do have the better quarterback. But LSU is kind of this very methodical team that stays on schedule. And LSU's got some very underrated receivers, okay? Alabama's got Jameer Gibbs. He's a dual-threat weapon, but... I somehow, again, Brian Kelly's done it again. I didn't think a whole hell of a lot of LSU when I saw him earlier in the year against Florida State, and then when they lost that game at the end uh, in a bad way, 
I thought maybe this could be a long year for – no, not so much. Not yet, it'd be a long year for the Tigers. Not so much now. LSU scored 90 points in the last two weeks, and they have been moving the ball better than people uh, anticipated. This game feels like a – I don't know uh, – Bama, you know, 35-28 type game, something like that. I'm not going to touch the game. I just think Brian Kelly's sneaky in these big game. You know, if he starts getting the athletes that they can get at LSU, they, boy, I'll tell you, the SEC is going to get that much more interesting. But listen, Bama can't afford to lose. There's not a two-loss team that's going to find their way into the playoffs. And can you imagine if LSU wins, they would actually be on track to be in the SEC championship game. So look, it's a game worth watching tomorrow. Tennessee George is not the only game on the docket. And if you are a if you respect the academies like I do, the service academies, Air Force is at Army, okay? And one of the things that's been incredibly reliable are the unders in in academy games when you know Air Force plays Navy or Navy plays Army or the Air Force plays Army like they do Saturday. It's, you know, death taxes and the unders and service academy games. And the total in this game is, I believe, 41. Both these teams run option offenses. That means they run the ball almost exclusively. Air Force, <clears throat> Air Force has run the ball. This, this is 2022. They've run the ball 88% of their snaps this season. That's the highest rate in the country. Well, guess who's second? Army, 84%. Neither one of these teams are explosive either. So they require a lot of long drives, that typically feature 10 or more plays to score a touchdown. And guess what? When you run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, there aren't incomplete passes which stop the clock. The damn clock never stops. You typically don't see more. These schools typically don't get more than two or three possessions in a quarter. And guess what? When you limit possessions, you limit scoring opportunities. All this leads to the inevitable low-scoring games. That's why when two service academies play each other, since 2005, this is, this occurrence has taken place 51 times since 2005, where either Air Force plays Army, Army plays Navy, Navy plays Air, you get the picture. Guess what? Those games have gone under 42 out of 51 times. And they keep lowering the totals every year, and this doesn't matter. So do I think it's going to go over 41 Saturday? I don't make the case that it will. So there you go. You don't have to bet the game. Maybe throw a little pizza money on it. But I don't know how you make a case for an over. But I greatly expect the academies, they play a good brand of football. And that's the pomp and circumstances and the visual in these games is always fun to watch. Texas, who I've been critical of, but they're having a decent year. They visit Kansas State. This is the exact opposite. The total here is 54.5. This total is too low. Kansas State's numbers offensively this year they're not breaking any records they only rank 88th nationally uh in success rate and 60 in points per possession but they've been trending upward in the last five games kansas's kansas state's offense has increased and its point per, per possession has increased dramatically and they're getting more explosive plays texas still as long as quinn ewers is healthy one of the most potent offenses in the country, and they're coming off a bye, and the Longhorns are still alive in the, to possibly get to the Big 12 championship game. Yes, they're in the hunt. And if they win Saturday against Kansas State, um, it's going to bode well for Texas. You're going to max effort out of Texas. 
And I know Quinn Ewers did not play well against Oklahoma State. People are talking about the fact he might have had a hand injury that day. And Kansas State's overall defensive numbers are probably better than you give him credit for. But um, if Oklahoma moved the ball against Kansas State and TCU moved the ball against Kansas State, why can't Texas do it? 54 is not a big total in that game. I think both teams get into the 30s. That's a game you might want to take a look at the over. Finally, Oregon State played Washington tonight. And look, Friday night games, I think, are a treat. If you watched it, great. If you didn't, that's okay, too. But not everything has to be Alabama, Michigan, Georgia, right? Ohio State, you get the picture. Finally, one other game. I'm going to throw one in one as a bonus, okay? Houston at SMU. And I expected Houston to be one of the best group of five teams in the country. Uh, Chance to get a New Year's Bowl. Uh, They lost to Kansas and Tulane, and both those schools are pretty good. So those schools don't look as bad. Um, you know, and, and I, I think, again, they're, they're not made they're, – they're not – they're group of five teams, right? But Houston and SMU have earned the right to get your respect, and, and they're, they're very much worth a, a look when it comes to, you know, from a fan's perspective. Again, I, if I had a choice, would I rather watch Texas and Kansas State? Yes. Or, or would I still rather watch, you know, Tennessee, Georgia – or Alabama, LSU, yes, I, I would. But that doesn't mean those schools aren't, aren't going to put up, you know, a lot of good action, a lot of good offense, and the, the type of thing that will, you know, that I would think represent the schools well, much unlike what happened to Michigan State. So I want to just take two minutes here to reiterate why Michigan State completely embarrassed himself last Saturday, not just down the field, but afterward. Look, they've used that same tunnel at Michigan since 1927. And uh, Pete Futak mentioned he he thought the two schools, the teams came in and out at the same time. That's not true. Maybe he misspoke, or maybe he uh, maybe I misunderstood him. But I will say this: the the protocol has been the same since 1927. The visiting team takes the field first, followed by Michigan. When the game's over, the visiting team enters the tunnel, and Michigan follows. It was ugly Saturday. Michigan was embarrassing Michigan State. They threw a couple passes late in the game that cost some words to be said on the field. Although Mel Tucker and Jim Harbaugh shook hands, most of the players didn't shake hands. I understand the Michigan players were sort of waving at Michigan State, take your butt back to East Lansing, whatever. But when they got to the tunnel, okay, in terms of the incident, someone I know was in the tunnel and they they tell me that nothing was said to provoke that. Nor has, it's my understanding, has have any Michigan State folks indicated that something was said to provoke that? So Jamon Green, the young man who was hit over the head with a helmet, has a broken nose, and he's a starting corner, can't start Saturday against Rutgers. He's lawyered up, and do I think there could be criminal char- could be criminal charges? I do. <clears throat> because when when you get on a football field and you're between the lines and you're knocking each other's heads off, there's some implied consent that you're on the field to inflict damage against your opponent within the rules. But there's no implied consent when you're in a tunnel away from the field and the game is over. That's different. Someone swings a helmet at you, that's that's a little different situation. The only thing we can, can possibly think of is somehow Jamon Green, I believe he's the one who skipped ahead and got ahead of the Michigan State guys into the tunnel first, which is technically, if you want to, you know, he breaks protocol, 
And I don't know what happened. The next thing you know, it's spontaneous combustion, and these kids were attacked. You can see it all on video. Michigan State currently has eight players suspended. I don't think this is over. I think there's going to be a conference-based um, investigation. And I might talk more about this on, on Saturday night, but so far the officials from both schools have been fairly quick, very fairly forceful, but I don't think it's over. <coughs> but what an embarrassing situation for Michigan State. And this is something I don't think you live down right away. You get beat 29-7 on the field, and then you pull this in the tunnel. Not good. Coming up, we're going to bring in the crew, talk about the Breeders' Cup. The Breeders' Cup is a very special event. We'll tell you why. I'll tell you the horse I'm picking in race 11, and we'll the crew will weigh in as well. Hey, football fans, be sure to tune in to Fox Sports Radio's Countdown to Kickoff, presented by BetMGM every Saturday and Sunday morning, three hours before kickoff. Tune in Saturday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern and Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern as we take you live all the way to kickoff on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app, presented by BetMGM. I'm Bernie Friday. We're coming to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio studios, the TireRack.com studios. Keep it locked right here. You're listening to the Bernie Frado Show on Fox Sports Radio. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events... You'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. On the Bernie Frato Show, Fox Sports Radio, come to you live from the Tyrac.com studios. I want to remind everybody, the Breeders' Cup World Championships live from iconic Keeneland is underway. The big races are coming up later today. Don't miss the world's best thoroughbreds race for their share of $31 million in purses and awards. Visit BreedersCup.com to watch all the action live on Saturday. And before we get to our picks, we'll be picking who we think will be the winner in race 11, the Longines Classic. The Breeders' Cup is is an incredible two-day event. Uh, it's, without a doubt, one of the biggest horse races in the world. It attracts stars and horses from all around the world. It's a two-day event, again, as I just mentioned, of, of nothing but elite horse racing. And on Friday, you have all the two-year-olds, they race. And on Saturday, you have all the three-year-olds race. They've got to qualify. The prize money is, is incredible. And so without further ado, I will my pick for the Longines Classic Race 11 is Flightline. Now, Flightline 
this will be the first time he's had a very short career, led five races. Be the first time he's ever been on national television. First time a mainstream audience gets to see this incredible horse who's not only undefeated, he's won his five races by a combined 62 and a half lengths. Incredible. Three to five favorite. Those are prohibitive odds. And he's up against the classic field, but as one trainer said, Flightline is a horse that comes along once every 20 years or so. He's a rare individual, just a great horse. I guess maybe think Secretariat. Is it hyperbolic? I don't know. But when you win five races by a total of 62 and a half links, that is beyond special. Let's bring in the crew. Um, obviously, the Breeders' Cup, Saturday, the second day of a two-day event that's pretty sensational. Kevin figures your thoughts. Yeah, you know, this is obviously one of the more exciting races uh, in uh, in horse racing, and I like the name uh, Hot Rod Charlie. Uh, been around for a bit, uh, one in juniors a couple of years ago, has been on the come, 15-1 to 1 odds, and uh, trainer Doug O'Neill, one of the best in the business. So uh, I'm going to go with the Hot Rod Charlie at 15-1 to 1 there, Bernie. Very, very good. I like that name as well, 15-1. to 1. And uh, he is a USA-based horse, so, hey, you never know. Long shots come in all the time in uh, – in, uh, in in horse racing. Uh, Chris Perfett, your thoughts? Kind of been around horse racing for on and off for a lot of my life. My grandfather uh, always loved bet, like, like bets races all the time, be it greyhounds or horses. Or he, My dad learned driving by basically chauffeuring him to the carriage races in Toledo back in the day. But uh, looking at here, I usually, usually I would follow my grandfather's lead and kind of watch the horses right before a race, before making a pick. But in lieu of that, I, I've got to keep my eye on who the trainers are and who the jockeys are. And to be honest, I find no better, you know, when it comes to value, you trust who you know, and that's Bob Baffert. And uh, I Taiba, his horse at 8-1 to one odds, yep, I think number is one a, horse, yep. yeah, I, I like, I like you know, I'm just going to take what I've got with with uh, Taiba, with Bob Baffert's, uh, you know, Taiba's ran five times, got three first place, one second. So I, I think I, I like at eight to one Tyba. All right, hey, you never know. Bafford he comes up big in these big races. Uh, Ethan, what are your thoughts on the race? All right, so uh, you know, growing up, I did I did watch the uh, derbies. So I, you know, I, I wasn't you know always big into going to the racetrack, but I did do my research on this, and I'm going to go with Life is Good six to one odds, and uh, the reason for this, this guy is. Nine, uh, nine wins and eleven starts, uh, and I hear this guy can seriously gallop, and he comes around the corner. The guy's like flying around the corner. He's extremely well um, coming around the end, and then I think that's going to be important. Listen, life's good. The Phillies aren't doing well. I'm a Phillies fan, and that's really why I'm taking this pick. <laughs> but if, I, I was trying to really, you know, I was trying to maybe give you a little horse information but i couldn't really do it so i'm just going to say life is good even though the phillies are losing you know one of the uh horses in this race rich strike has a pretty interesting history uh and there's only really one long shot happy saver or jockey john velasquez he's 30 to 1 and the only reason i i picked uh and by the way any one of the horses the guys have picked could could win seriously uh but the only reason I picked Flightline is because 
it's almost like sometimes you see a horse. It's like one of my radio partners in Detroit once actually stat, stood next to Secretariat, and he couldn't explain it. He, he, it's almost like he was a real person who was aware of you and was communicating without speaking. It was weird. We're thinking Flightline might be one of those types of horses where he knows he's racing and there's almost a pride factor. And uh, he's been so dominant. And uh, Chris, do you know? Do you know how they assess speed in horses? Because I think he was. It's not miles an hour, but the speed for Flightline was like one fifteen, and there hadn't been a horse that fast in what sixteen years or something like no, that. No, I I wouldn't remember that at all. No. Okay, fair fair enough. But I know it's a different assessment. It's a different system. It's a different demarcation in terms of you know. Yeah, you know, I talk about football running backs now that run 23 miles an hour and all that. You, we can relate to what that means, but it's a different term used in sports, uh, horse racing. And Flightline has been reaching speeds that have not really been seen before. And so uh, I know it's a chalky pick for me. It's a guess. But, uh, you know, you've got Taiba. He's the number one horse at 8-1. to one. Life is good, 6-1. Uh, to one. Uh, Happy saver, 30-1, to one, the only long shot. Flight line at three to five. He's the prohibitive favorite. Hot Rod Charlie, I do like that name as well. <clears throat> Fifteen to one. Epicenter five to one. Olympiad ten to one. And then of course Rich Strike, who I mentioned at twenty to one. There's only eight horses in this race, but uh, Chris's theory about Bob Baffert might well come in. It's amazing. You always see that guy perfectly quaffed. In the winter circle. Should be a lot of fun for us, guys, to watch. Uh, something to maybe talk about a little bit. By the uh, way, Baffert's, Baffert's horses have won the Breeders' Classic four times. Wow. This guy, yeah, he's... I'm gonna, I, I imagine they're going to put this horse out to stud, right? Uh, I think the flight line... I, somebody told me he's going to retire pretty soon, so this might be a swan song. All right, coming up, we've got World Cup. Yes, two weeks from next Friday, USA and England, and... USA Wales even before that, which, by the way, I got an interesting thing to run by Chris about Gareth Bale, and we'll get to Chris Perfett's World of Soccer in just a second. But first, let's go back to our guy, Kevin Figures. All right, Bernie, we'll start in the NBA. Utah defeating the Lakers 130-116 to behind 27 points from Laurie Markkinen. L.A. falling to 2-6 and with that loss. Milwaukee is 8-0 after a 115-102 win in Minnesota. It's the best start in franchise history for the Bucks. Pelicans beat the shorthanded Warriors 114-105. Golden State sat Klay Thompson, Steph Curry, Draymond Green, and Andrew Wiggins in that one. Jason Tatum scoring 36 points, leading Boston over Chicago. Jeremy Grant, the game-winning jumper, leading Portland over Phoenix. Luka Doncic scored 35 points in a 111-110 Dallas victory over Toronto. Wins for Memphis, Brooklyn, the Clippers, and the Cavaliers. College football, Washington went on an 18-play, 92-yard drive and kicked the game-winning field goal with less than 10 seconds remaining, picking up a 24-21 victory over 23rd-ranked Oregon State. NFL injury news, Chargers will be without receivers Mike Williams and Keenan Allen against Atlanta. Colts running back Jonathan Taylor out against the Patriots with an ankle injury. Back to Bernie Fratto. All right, thanks so much, Kevin. All right, World Cup soccer is upon us. We do this on Friday night, and we do it on Saturday. It's time for Chris Perfett's World of Soccer. The greatest goals. The thrilling finishes. The international drama. El Chicharito, Chicharito, Chicharito. Ahí, ahí la tiene Torrado. It's all here in this report from the world of soccer. All right, Bernie. 
We'll we'll talk World Cup here in just a second. But first, there is one more instance of Philadelphia appearing in the world of sports, and that is in the world of soccer, as we have the MLS Cup Final here coming up on Saturday. And yeah, as I said, Philadelphia Union against LAFC is your MLS final for the MLS Cup. It's uh, it, it's going to be a very big... This is the first time I think we've had in a very long while, maybe ever in the MLS Cup history, where the top, sco- the top flight team from the Western Conference is going to meet the top flight team from the Eastern Conference. That would be Union from the East and LAFC from the West. By the way, real quickly, yeah. have you noticed Gareth Bale can't get on the field? No, he's dealing with something right now, and it's uh, LAFC has been very catty about uh, saying exactly what it is. They have they've insisted in weeks past it's not an injury designation, but the fact that he's not on the field, I, I, I mean, LAFC is doing fine without him. But yes, looking forward to the World Cup for Wales, it should be a cause for concern. I don't I and I yeah. know Wales flied some of their doctors out to LA to kind of go and check on check on bail and everything too so i i have no clue what's going on in that regard it, it should be worrying for welsh fans for sure absolutely but, but yeah no i think it's a it's a fantastic matchup philadelphia once again in the sports world and you know it's it's a it's a game of defense versus a game of offense lafc obviously with both bail but also with uh you know some of their other signings they've made over the years to put together a high-flying team and Philadelphia, meanwhile, their top goal scorers come from their midfield, and it's going to be a very impressive MLS Cup. And I would uh, encourage everyone to watch that. Again, I don't watch a ton of MLS. My eyes are usually on Europe, but it is it is a uh, it's 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 a very vaunted MLS Cup this year. Yeah. Anyway, let's move on to the World Cup, Bernie, because uh, we continue our preview. We've previously talked about group c we've previously talked about group g today we're talking about group group f and that includes belgium canada morocco and croatia two teams from europe a team from africa and a team from the north american Concacaf uh, federation so right now right off the top i'll tell you right now that uh belgium should probably be getting through this group no problem, but oh, yeah. it, I, I think in the world, right? They're, they're, the world, they FIFA. are, yes, they're in the top five of the world. However, for Belgium, this might be the last chance for them here. They've, they've really. This is what people have called for long, for a while now, the golden generation of Belgian, of Belgian soccer. Uh, however, it's starting to get to a point where age is going to start to set in. Um, Jan Vertonghen and Tommy Adderweireld are reaching their conclusion. Oh, excuse me. Alderweireld are reaching the conclusion of their careers, uh, you know, whereas health for some of the other guys in their, you know, late 20s, early 30s, be it Eden Hazard or Romelu Lukaku, have not really fanned out as well on the club side of things. Lukaku, obviously, you know, he, he made that turn from Inter Milan to Chelsea that was very, very spotted, and now he's back with Inter. But... You know they 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 had a they made it to the semifinals last time in Russia in 2018, but they were only in the quarterfinals at Euro 2020, 
So it's I, I, I think people are kind of projecting Belgium on the downward side. Does that mean they're absolutely still going to clear the group? But I think people are worrying looking at Belgium in the knockout round that unless they reach the finish line, Bernie, this might be the end for this great because as I said, this has been a fantastic generation of Belgium soccer. This is this is some of the best generation this is some of the best players I've ever seen come out of Belgium has been in my lifetime right here. I wouldn't think the World Cup champion is going to come out of this bracket, though. Just my gut feel. No, they. I as as good as Belgium has been, I feel like they've been on a downward trajectory, especially when we're talking about you know once we take them out of this pond here and put them up against Spain or Brazil or Argentina or God forbid France, like suddenly I don't like their odds as much. I, I know no, they're top five. I know they're top five in the world, but you know just going pound for pound, looking at them against the biggest teams from from UEFA and from CONMEBOL, like I don't know. I, I don't know if you can put put it in a position where I would, you know, slot Belgium as the betting favorite in any of those no. matches. No, I mean, uh, some of those, uh, you know, squads you just mentioned, in terms of World Cup odds, and they matter to me, uh, there are six or seven teams favored ahead of Belgium. Belgium's 12-1 to 1 to win it all, but that's basically on par with the Netherlands and Portugal. I wouldn't ex- expect those, you know, then you've got Croatia down like... 50 to 1. We saw Morocco. They're 200 to 1, which is a problem in and of itself. Didn't they tie you at the USA in the uh, friendly? Uh, I don't. They Was that might. Morocco recently? I, I No, I, I know the last two they played were Japan and Saudi Arabia. Yeah. So they, they might have played Morocco at some point. Morocco, I'll talk about them in a second. They're not a team to sleep on. They have some good power. Oh, and yeah. I have a good. Uh, but we should st- start talking here about Canada. And Canada's story is the story of Afonso Davies, a man who has come from refugee camps to playing for, you know, both Bayern Munich, one of the biggest clubs in the world, and the country of Canada at a very young and spry 22. And it's injected a lot of hope. This is the first time Canada has been in the World Cup, I believe, since 1986. And they did it by playing more qualifying matches than any other nation that is bound for the World Cup right now. And Alfonso Davies is the unquestioned star. It's kind of a one-man show for Canada, which is kind of why I don't doubt, I doubt they'll be going much places. But hey, at only 22 years old, we're going to get to see a lot of Alfonso Davies, and he is someone absolutely to watch. Uh, I remember back in 2019, uh, he was he, as part of the goal of the Concacaf Gold Cup. Uh, you know, it, Canada got their first win over the United States in 34 years on in 2-0. First goal there, the open first goal, goal there scored by Alfonso Davies in that match. Now, Alfonso Davies has been dealing with, uh, excuse me, let me get make sure I get this right, my, myocarditis. Heart issues. Yeah, hard myocarditis. Issue. He he has yeah. had a myocarditis absence. However, he did uh, come back and got. Two goals against uh, Curacao, so he's. He, I, I people are excited to see Davies. It's bringing a lot of hope to the Canadian fans. I know Canada is a country that loves to get behind their, you know, their their teams when they're doing very well. And there's a lot of pride for Canada and Alfonso Davies right now. So it's, they it's, got scoring power. Canada's got some scoring power. They do. I just worry, like most other Concacaf nations, that they are a. They're a big fish in a small pond. They 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 they've shown very well in Concacaf play, but 
Man, I, I'm talking about their biggest star, star Bernie as a 22-year-old. Now, he's been playing in the in the, these t- these flights since 17. Yeah, Jonathan David, right? Uh, Jonathan. Alfonso Davies. Alfonso Davies. Oh, okay. Yeah, but he but he's 22 years old. Get well, he'll he'll be a future he'll be a feature for Canada in years for now. But for right now, look at this as a preview of things to come for Canada if he continues to play well. Now we've got two more nations to talk about. Croatia, much like Belgium, is kind of on the downward spiral here. They are a aging club. I've yeah. seen them in a lot in a, in the last few World Cups. They won seven of ten qualifying games to get to Qatar. Uh, however, you know Luka Modric, their big star, he, he's still doing well at Real Madrid, but he's 37. So I, I I start to worry a little about Croatia's competitiveness here. But I I've saved the best for last in that I like in this group Dark Horse to come in second place. Yes, I'm putting them second. I like them to come in second in this group, Morocco. It's a little bit checkered for them recently, just but I'll try to explain. But they've got some great stars in there. Uh, Akram Hakimi is probably the leader there. He's he plays for Paris Saint Germain. Uh, he is he is absolutely a joy to watch. And the international drama with another of their stars, Hakim Ziyech, is actually over. He plays for Chelsea, and he had announced earlier in the year his retirement for international play as part of a row with the. Uh, you know, uh, the Moroccan manager, uh, Vadid Halahodzic. And I believe, however, but uh, 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 Vahid was dismissed and, <laughs> excuse me, uh, Hakim has returned to the squad. And I think the, the, the one worry they're having right now is playing time from the club levels. Both these guys that I mentioned are actually not are not getting a lot of minutes with their current club. Ziyech, in particular, can't really get a lot of looks under Graham Potter with Chelsea. Meanwhile, one of their other players, Yusuf N. Nesri, was dropped by Sevilla. So I, they're, they're hitting that stride where it's like they're not getting the good playing time on the club levels, but I still like Morocco to come in second in this group behind Belgium. Well, they be do have some second. individual stars. They do. They, they do. They, I think they, they, they are more. Zayek, I can't pretty. They got some brutal, brutal names. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. Hakeem I should do more. I, well, no, I can't do. None of us can. I no, mean, I, like, I, I, I usually soup. try to. I try to do pronunciations well. I, I, I but I but left listen, my pronunciation uh, guide at uh, home. But Haim I think. Zayek was a late ad. They just added him like a couple of months ago. Yes. For this tournament. Right. And well, he's a striker. Yeah. Uh, again, a part of that was just the, the drama with the manager. But I think Morocco is more loaded than Canada. And Croatia is aging out of the of their squad right now. So I do like the order. If I'm going to put this uh, Group F into an order, I would go Belgium, Morocco, Croatia, Canada. And I'm sorry to the Canadian fans out there. I know you're very excited about your squad, but you, you Alfonso Davies is only 22. Like I, I don't. I I will be surprised if Canada walks away with more than probably two points. And that's the world of soccer. All right, good stuff. I would not go to sleep. I'm in agreement. Croatia's got a population of 4 million. But for whatever reason, when they get on the international stage, they always punch above their weight. Uh, They lost to France in Moscow. What year was that? Uh, Not that long ago in the World Cup. It was in 2018. That That was the finals, wasn't it? Was that not the finals? No, it was not. Okay, maybe I'm mixed up. Uh, but you're right. It's an interesting division. I don't know that the winner comes out, but you can't go to sleep. You would think it's Belgium's to lose, but you, when you get on the field, you got a lot of individual stars and 
teams jockeying, adding coaches, adding players. So no, I, I'm right. sorry. It was I'm sorry, Bernie. I complete. Yes, they lost to France in the final in that World Cup. Yeah, four to two. Four to two. Yeah, and and no one. Yeah, that that was an upstart performance. I mean, you're talking about a country with four million people. So I thought I thought they'd made that jump. But we'll see, look. We'll see what happens. Uh, I think this is going to be a very unpredictable uh, tournament. All right, coming up. We wrap up the show. I'll give you my final thoughts on, on Tennessee, Georgia, and we look ahead to another fabulous day in college football. I'm Bernie Frater. We're coming to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio Studios, the TireRack.com Studios. Keep it locked right here. You're listening to the Bernie Frater Show on Fox Sports Radio. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Back on the Bernie Frater Show, Fox Sports Radio, coming to you live from the Tyrac.com studios. Before I go any further, I want to thank my broadcast team back in Los Angeles. They've been with me since 11 p.m. Saturday night. That'd be Kevin Figures on the updates, Chris Perfett, my technical producer, and, of course, Ethan Miller, our executive producer. By the way, folks, back on these airwaves Saturday night at 11 p.m. for a five-hour extravaganza Remember, this Sunday at 2 a.m., you turn the clocks back so we'll get a bonus hour. We've got plenty to keep you busy for five hours. One of the things that's going to keep us busy here, Saturday, you heard me talk about this at the top of the show. It bears repeating. Full disclosure, it's what I do here. Keep it real. I did take Georgia and lay the eight points. Now, remember, the betting line is not a predictor. Vegas is not in the fortune-telling business. They're not in the... predicting the future business. They are in the managing of risk business. A line is designed to create an opportunity for both sides so that the book can have minimized risk and potential maximized profits. When you handicap, you look for fundamental advantages like strengths versus weaknesses. Both these teams are prolific, all right? Tennessee ranks 40th in pass defense efficiency. They rank 127th out of 131 teams in passing yards allowed. They're even behind North Texas and Kent State for crying out loud. Georgia, 6th in the country in FBS in points scored per game, 42. They do it through the air quite well. 
Everybody knows about Tennessee's offense. They don't talk much about Georgia's offense. It's right behind Tennessee's. Now, remember, and I give Tennessee top credit for what they've done this year, but even at home is a nine-point underdog against Alabama. They trailed by seven before a questionable call, pass interference call, changed the game. Bama had 17 penalties that day. Still had a chance to win it with a missed field goal at the end that would have won the game. 91% of the tickets were on Tennessee prior to Friday. Now, 69% of the tickets are coming in on Georgia. I just feel Georgia's stop rate on defense. This is when you have situations where drives don't end up in a score. Seventh best in the country. They're going to be Tennessee's Achilles heel tomorrow. They're going to be the kryptonite. Could I be wrong? Of course I could be wrong. But I just don't see Tennessee strolling in to Sanford Stadium between the hedges and beating Georgia. Georgia lives in these games. Georgia is going to score 35 points of their own as well. The question is, will they cover the eight? Guess we'll find out. I'll be back Saturday night to talk about it because, yes, I did lay the eight, and that's why they play these games. So we can talk about them after they've been played, and we'll see who's right. We'll see who's wrong. Good luck to both sides. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Bernie Frado Show. Keep it locked. Don't go anywhere. Up next, the great Anthony Gargano. Keep it locked right here on Fox Sports Radio. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.